You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Indians. I am your host, Jeff Ellis. You might notice a change in decor. Uh, if you are an everyday listener, due to my knee problems, I can't quite take the whole rig upstairs. So you are getting the uh, stereotypical basement show for the uh, Locked On uh, for a sports podcast are doing it. We have a special guest. Uh, of course, I will talk about him here in a second to talk about what else can we talk about? The big trade. Frankie Lindor, Carlos Carrasco, no more. I am uh, got this at a social media night a few years ago. Everybody is gone. <laughs> scan through and you can see the names. This is my version of, uh, of just kind of doing the thanks for the memories. You know, Corey Kluber, Michael Brantley, Jan Gomes, Jason Kipnis. And then as I go this way, Carlos Carrasco, our last friend. Uh, you know, like I said, I'll, I'll introduce our guest here in a second. But I think Carrasco is the one that hurts me the most because I can't help but feel like in this trade, uh, Carrasco is almost like a, a, a negative value. And I'll get into that a bit where the Indians were more interested in cutting salary and trading him before his 10-5 rights kicked in than they were uh, trading him because of demand. The Indians added four players. I don't think we can really say they're better today than they were before. Um, I thought there were situations where we could say that, where if they split Lindor and got multiple pieces that could help them right away, that made sense. Uh, it's an interesting trade, and if we're going to talk prospects, we're going to talk young players. Uh, there was one person in network to go bring in and that was RM Layton. I paused there cause I butchered names. Hopefully I got it right. Uh, who is the host of lockdown prospects and locked on Marlins. Uh, when the video is, is live, people will be able to see your screen name, but for those listening on the audio podcast, tell them where they can find you online. Oh, absolutely. Well, you can find me at RM Layton eight on Twitter and at L O underscore MLB prospects where I'll be talking about this trade as well. So this is a nice little primer for what's going to be a very, very interesting episode too on my end. So I'm excited to talk about it here uh, because yeah, it hurts. And as you know, as you mentioned, I'm, I hosted Locked On Marlins. I still do. And I've been a Marlins fan since I was a kid. So basically any Marlins item that I had from the mid 2000s on is obsolete. So I know that feeling. Yeah. It's, I was trying to think back. It's like, who's left from, you know, and I, on a very base level, there's a lot of anger today, and I got a lot of that um, nicely directed at me. I always say Indians fans are quite nice and know that I'm not responsible, uh, but they want me to explain things. Uh, and in some respects, the worst thing that happened to the Indians was the 2016 World Series because that team lost all of its pitchers almost due to injury and got as far as any team has in recent memory. Or wait, did I say the wrong year? Might have there. Uh, but that World Series year, they had all their injuries and they made it to the World Series. Since then, the Indians operate under a, as long as you make the postseason, who knows what could happen. And that postseason team, I was like, who's left? Is there anyone in place? And I I think we are at a point where Jose Ramirez might be the last man standing. It's it's kind of a sad day. And, and we're not going to talk about possible Jose Ramirez trades. A lot of questions about that. Uh, I do think we can start a timer on him. Let's put it that way. I think he's got about 18 months max left in system. But we have so many other players to talk about, so many other prospects. Uh, uh, one other fact before I throw it to Arm here, as I, I was, uh, I tweeted out earlier today. If you go and look at the Indians' top ten first-round picks by WAR uh, all time, it goes Manny Ramirez, CC Sabathia, Greg Swindell, Frankie Lindor. 
Chuck Nagy comes five. And this is where it gets painful because six and seven, Jeremy Guthrie and Kelly Gruber were guys that cut. Ray Fossey got hurt. Drew Pomeranz is somehow in the top 10. Rick Manning is more famous for stealing Dennis Eckersley's wife than anything he did on the baseball field. And then Lonnie Chisenhall is somehow 11th all time. That is where we are as a first round. And that first round is still light years ahead of any other round. Uh, So it's, you know, they traded one of the bedrock guys of the last 30 years. They got four young players. Uh, what can you tell us? What do you? Where do you want to start? Uh, dealer's choice here. Who do you want to go with? Discuss. Uh, who are you liking? Not liking? Leave it up uh, to you. Let's start with some of the good, I guess. Right, because you know, it's it's a solid return given the circumstances. I really think it is when you factor in the the fact that they were not going to pay him, right? Everybody knew that. Everybody knew Lindor was gone, and whoever was trading for Lindor is going to have to pay him a lot, right? So when you consider that and you look at some of the other trades in the past, Mookie Betts, somewhat of a light return because of the same fact. You also look at, like, the Giancarlo Stanton trade. He was already inked to a crazy contract, but the return was not great for that exact reason as well. So especially in this COVID world where teams are – you know, apparently very financially strapped, the return's going to be a little bit light. But what I will say is they did get a lot of upside. And I think they hedged some of that upside with guys that are big league ready right now. And it starts, I, I could start with Rosario, but I want to start with a more positive guy. So I'm going to start with Jimenez because Andres Jimenez to me is is a really solid piece to be getting back here. And I think he, he plugs right in at shortstop. He's an incredible defender. He's a plus runner. He's a well-rounded player, and I think there's more room there to improve at the plate. Is he ever going to hit for power? No, of course not. But I think he's a really well-rounded player. Of course, you're sacrificing a lot of production at shortstop from Lindor to Jimenez, but you are getting a really like a gold glove caliber defender. You're getting a plus-plus runner. You're getting a really well-rounded player, and he's big league ready, still has upside to get better. I like his swing from the left side. I think it's, it's a really smooth swing. He's good at just being able to work counts, get on base. You know, I think that's a good starting point for the Indians here to, to get a guy that they can plug straight in at shortstop right now. So you're not feeling the void as much. And, you know, Rosario goes in at second base in the meantime. We know that the Indians have a ton of contingency plans at second base or in the middle infield in general, which we'll get into a little bit later. I know you want to talk about that, but I'm curious what the, kind of response has been I don't think there was ever going to be really a trade where Indians fans were going to be thrilled about the return especially given the circumstances but Jimenez has got to be at least a decent silver lining here where you're getting a really really good defender at a big spot who had a surprisingly good year for a really young player at the big league level that just did not seem phased by the big stage yeah, I, I anyone who listens to the show knows I've been since, gosh, before last season, before the start of 2020, I was discussing Lindor trades um, just because it was inevitable. It, it's one of those things when he hit uh, arbitration, it was he was never going to sign. He played it out to get to free agency and there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, he played paid his dues and he got some majors young and he was going to hit free agency at an age where he was going to be able to cash in. Good for him. Uh, and I've been talking about the Mets since then. Now, last summer, I started kind of this love affair with Dom Smith, who had been kind of a disappointment and had had a uh, a good started to turn it around. And then he had the huge year this year and he was still kind of the guy I I, I knew they weren't going to get, but I really wanted. Uh, I thought J.D. Davis looking at his savant numbers is interesting, but he's not an Indians. I mean, 
he's Fran Mill Reyes. It, it is interesting. I talk about like who are Indians guys. And I know like going back to the Clevenger trade and talking about what stuff with the Padres, the things they value. And this was kind of a trade that was different in, in some regards. I mean, up the middle talent, very similar, but they went for a little more risk. But I think Davis basically having no defensive position was what made him not as interesting as, as you put it. I mean, Jimenez is going to be their starting shortstop. I know some people have asked like, well, he'll pick, at least he's played some games at second in the majors and Rosario has only played shortstop. Jimenez is so much better defensively. Like you're not going to, because Jimenez has played like 20 games at second, have him play second. You're going to slot him in there. Uh, kind of the low end comp for me with Jimenez is Jose Iglesias, who, again, if you listen to the podcast, I was like, the Indians should consider trading for him. If, uh, if they trade Lindor as a nice filler, strong defensive type, uh, doesn't walk a lot, doesn't strike out a lot. Uh, I did have to laugh when you're talking about power just from our earlier conversation in the chat where I think the only person who thinks he's going to have power and I, I respect um, Dylan, right? All the over on the Braves and he, he talked about him developing 20 home run power. So I just want to give him a shout out and say, I hope he's right. And say like, I never thought Lindor would develop the power he has to this day. So, you know, stranger things have happened. Yeah. I, 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 I you saw what right. I promised. You saw what I promised. Yeah, right? the tat- I saw the, you're going to get a Braves I, tattoo, like across your chest. I, I said, I'll get a Braves tat on my chest. If, if he yeah. hits 20 home runs, he's had multiple seasons of 20 home runs. As I yes. Was. Yes. Which uh, he has not hit 20. I think he's hit 22 home runs in over 300 career minor league games. I yeah. will say, you know, he might have that thought because of Ozzy Albies and his mm-hmm. five foot eight stature. But when I look at the raw bat speed there, you know, Jimenez has a nice swing. I think he's got some bat speed, but I just don't think he has that kind of whippy swing and that leverage. Yeah. He doesn't generate that kind of leverage where you're going to be looking all at all whip. Like, yeah, that guy's all whip. He's, I don't know if there's anyone who has more whip. And again, this is not uh, Dylan is fantastic, and he could very well end up being right. He might see. I'll be right, and I'll be wrong, and I'll have a tattoo yeah. on my chest in a year. But uh, just yeah, be. I mean, I I agree. I think it's you know it's it's a it's a low ceiling upside where he's a strong defender, and you're hoping for about league average with the bat. Uh, but I mean, you're going for that defense and speed. I mean, that's that's the central piece here. And uh, you look at this team for next year in particular is going to be built around pitching and defense. And they just got a guy who Lindor is a great defender. He has had a little bit of regression there over the years. They're not going to miss a beat. Let's put it that way. Yeah, uh, exactly. They, they don't lose anything defensively. They're losing a lot offensively, but I don't think they're going to miss. A, a, there's a chance he might be better than Lindor. I know there's mm-hmm. going to be people out there who are going to cringe at that. But they might have gotten a little bit better defensively. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, he's the centerpiece. He's the star. Uh, when I talked with Ryan of Locked On Mets back in November, you know, his whole thing was he would trade Jimenez or Dom Smith, but not both. You had to pick one or the other. And well, I think at the end, you know, Dom was probably off the table. I think when you're looking at people ask about Nimmo, I believe Nimmo only has two years left. So he's like, his contract is the same length as Lindor's, which would have caused issues. Davis's defense. Davis also is getting arbitration expensive at, you know, Rosario is as well, but not as much. So I think all of that comes together where Jimenez is the most control. He plays in up the middle uh, position and he's just, he's safe. Like there's a, it's hard to find us a, a way where he fails to at least be okay. Well, let me ask you this though, because we talked about this off the air a little bit and when I think about prospects and then I think about how it's going to be integrated into the big league team. And that's why I love talking to the hosts of the big league teams because they can kind of help balance me out there is I know all the prospects. I know the big league teams, but not as much about the big league front office's plan with some of the players and, and some of those things. So my question here is like, we were talking about it off the air before Ahmed Rosario 
I think is is incredibly redundant with Jimenez, right? Like Jimenez is what I think the Mets were hoping Rosario would be. And I think Jimenez has already leapfrogged Rosario in the regard of offensive profile right now. I, I like his approach way better. I know neither walk very much, but I, I like his approach a lot more. He's a better defender. He I think he's just a more well-rounded player. Rosario is actually just as fast at sheer when we talk about sheer sprint speed, but they are stark differences between the two when we look at base stealing, right? R- Rosario gave up on stealing bases because he was so bad last year to the point where this past year he only tried once and he was thrown out and that was it. And Jimenez was actually a pretty solid base stealer. I think he was eight of nine this past year and he's a better defender at this point too. I'm wondering why the Indians didn't have some interest in JD Davis because we we're talking about Nolan Jones off the air, right? And Nolan Jones looks like he can't hit left-handed pitching. Maybe he will figure it out. I do have some hope because of his incredible ability to walk, but if he is going to be more of a platoon guy and he's going to be more focused on facing right-handed pitching, why wouldn't you want a JD Davis? That would be a really good platoon at third base where you have JD Davis who demolishes left-handed pitching, Nolan Jones who demolishes right-handed pitching, and Davis is not a great defender no matter where you put him, but you could stick him in the outfield when you want to have both of those guys in the lineup for whatever reason. And I just thought that would be a perfect fit. It seemed to make so much sense. But when you mentioned the arbitration, I wonder if it was just more financially driven. And also it makes me think too, when we look at the system for the Indians is where does Rosario really fit in? Because I could probably name three middle infielders, maybe four that are more projectable than Rosario at this point. And is he just going to be a piece that ends up getting flipped at the deadline or something? Uh, I could see that being a distinct possibility. I do like some of the other high upside young pieces that we can talk about too, but I wanted to get your thoughts on that too, because I think JD Davis and Nolan Jones would have been a pretty dynamite uh, platoon at third base. Yeah. I, you know, I, I really like Davis. The, again, it's the going and looking at baseball savant and it's, he has his deficiencies, but I, he just, hits and this is an offense that it looks like it is going to be anemic and he would have looked fine in any form uh you know i think back to you know going back long enough to when i was at scout not even 24 7 when scout still existed and i was working with taylor ward over there like amad rosario is one of our top 10 prospects in the game at that point in time and i was like plus hit tool he's going to be a plus defender and the the defense has kind of regressed a bit and the hit and, and he's another one of those guys where I feel like I just sit back and I'm like, we don't know how to evaluate hit tool properly. Like that he doesn't walk enough. He doesn't work enough counts. And I think for the Indians, it just comes down to 2020. Some guys had weird years, like just horrible, horrible years. We talked about, you know, the pirates recently with Josh Bell and like all of their young hitters. And 2020 was ugly for Rosario. Uh, not that, particularly 2018 or 2017 were all that better. But when you look at his 2019 data, what could be interesting, what could have made the Indians go, hmm, and think that, because here's the thing, with the, the Indians love a steal. Uh, they love a steal. You go back to when they traded Cliff Lee, Carlos Carrasco had been like the Phillies uh, top prospect for like four straight years and was on a bit of a decline. Uh, Jason Knapp is the centerpiece in that deal. And Jason Donald and Lou Marson and all those guys were considered kind of down value. Uh, they love getting those guys whose value are down and just kind of buying cheaply. You could even argue with the uh, Clevenger deal that someone like Naylor and uh, Quantrell are value down pieces. 
And that's Rosario. They're buying someone cheap, and you're hoping that you go back to those 2019 baseball savant data numbers where his expected batting average was 91st percentile in all baseball. Expected K, 67. Uh, exit velocity, 54. Hard hit, 51. So while those aren't huge numbers, it shows some power, like close to the average uh, power not necessarily production, but there's the chance that he's going to run into some things. Now, his barrel percentage is very low. His walk percentage is horrendous. It's a very limited profile, but I think, one, uh, they weren't going to sign Cesar Hernandez, and it, I, this might be more of, you know, they don't have to add Owen Miller to their 40-man yet, and they don't seem to be rushing to do that. Uh, and Yu Chen Chang would have been the other guy who maybe would have been out there competing for reps. This seems like they're going to... I feel like Rosario is an important piece. Um, I feel like he's, you can pretty much slot him in and put him at second base and they're going to see if he can rebound. And if he has a, if he does, if he shows some of that 2019 uh, value up, uh, great. They have him. If he plays more like 2020, I think at the end of the year, he gets, uh, he, you know, they designate him for assignment and move on. I think he's a a roll the dice. Uh, I mean, even going back to that Padres deal, it's there's some, round for comparison with Austin Hedges, who I think is going to make the same amount or was projected to make as much in arbitration as Rosario, where it's the defensive profile, interesting tools, and you're hoping uh, there's some rebound. I I agree that like every deal I talked about with just because the Indians needed someone who was ready to step in sooner rather than later. You know, he was a guy I didn't mind as a third or fourth piece because of that potential for um, a steal or a rebound there. But as I mean, I feel like he is the second piece in this deal. I could be wrong, but I feel like the way is projected and laid out that he is the number two piece. And for me, yeah, um, it's hard to defend uh, that that positioning just because, yes, he's a major league player. I don't know if he is more than a utility guy. Um, I heard some talk of trying him in the outfield, and the Mets were considering that because of the speed. I mean, the Indians... Uh, outfield they seem okay with which i don't understand uh we talked about that off air as well uh they seem to be center maybe but yeah there's some talk that maybe he would get some chances at center as well and be a super utility type uh so that's that is something else to definitely keep in mind before we get into the uh the secondary pieces on this deal just want to take a quick break and talk about the sponsors that help keep this show going and on the air Uh, Are you ready for football? We have the national championship on Monday. The playoffs are this weekend. What a time to be a Cleveland fan. Uh, The Indians are trading one of the greatest players in franchise history, and the Browns have like 40% of the roster out with COVID. That's nothing with our sponsor, but this might be the perfect time to go out and bet on that Browns game. Go check the lines. Go to betonline.com. Browns don't have a head coach and half their roster. Go check it out. You might be able to win yourself some money. And when you go to betonline.ag, the number one place that has you covered, the number one place we trust, Sign up for your free account and use the promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus. I don't know a ton about gambling, but I found the site relatively easy to go through. I went through and was looking at all the various sports. There's so many options. If you're someone who does know, I, this is a great site to go. Like I said, I'm a neophyte. I could figure it out. If you know it, you'll be able to go and navigate. When you're using that promo code Locked On, you're getting a 50% welcome bonus. That's huge. That's 50% bonus free. You're never going to get a better uh, offer on anything we do from a sponsor than 50%. So check out betonline.ag. Use that locked on promo code. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner at betonline underscore ag to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and use the promo code locked on for that sign up bonus. Hashtag betonline. 
I've been watching Cobra Kai, so I should say what uh, hash brown bet online. I actually really everyone's been watching that. I got to get on that. That's top of my list. But also, I will say I'm taking the Browns. I'm Are taking you? the Browns this week. I think everybody's going to bet Steelers. I think they're frauds. I think the Browns <laughs> still find a way. Um, I, I just wanted to put that out there. Well, we'll 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 definitely have to come have you back on either way to to talk you up if you got it right or you're like oh what did we miss? <laughs> Our other fantastic sponsor. Uh, let's do the two for one on things that are like very sporty things that I don't know a lot about, and that's cars. Rock Auto. Um, I don't know cars. I can't do anything with cars. I can fill up uh, the air in my uh, my tires. That's about it. But what, in spite of my lack of knowledge, I can navigate their site with ease. You go to Rock Auto, and what I like to use their site for is when I do have a problem. Uh, recently had a flat tire. I went on and I comparison shopped. You have the ability with rockauto.com to comparison shop. Make sure you're getting the right deal, the right price. Make sure that we all know that when you go to the mechanic, they don't have your best interest in heart. Rock Auto is a family-owned business. They keep the overhead low, pass those savings on to you. When you go to rockauto.com and you find that great deal, because you will when you go there, you're going to use the promo code Locked On in the How Did You Hear About Us box. That lets them know that their advertising money was well spent. And again, keep them. This is a great advocate for you when it comes time to get a piece or part for your car. The mechanic isn't looking out for you. Rock Auto is. Go to rockauto.com. Tell them Locked On. Tell them Locked On MLB. Tell them Locked On Indians. Tell them Locked On. Tell them Locked On Marlins if you like our guest today. Tell them Locked <laughs> On anything, but just tell them Locked On sent you. And lastly, 2020 is mercifully over. Um, I, I know I am very thankful for that myself. It's time for a fresh start and a few more wins. If you're betting this year and want more wins, listen to Locked On Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They are picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, so I'll say the word so, because that's what I always say, uh, so people know we're back. Not that It's become intentional now because I did it accidentally for so long, and it's now my running joke uh, that you can wait for the so. We talked about the big pieces in this deal, the guys who are going to help. Um, I saw some people in the Cleveland media talking about these secondary players. Uh, I'm going to throw some some things that came out where they're talking about, you know, these are interesting players. Uh, Isaiah green. Uh, a lot of people, Michael Brantley is the name that is coming up. Uh, that does not feel very fair to me. And I think if he was Michael Brantley, not to diss his skills, but if Isaiah green was a Michael Brantley cop, he comp, he would have been a, a higher first round pick. Uh, there's good skills. He's a lotto ticket. I think he's the second most interesting outfielder in system. We'll talk about outfielders in a second. And, the other player, uh, Josh Wolf, uh, I'd like to talk about him in terms of Lenny Torres, as they were both like first round picks and the right handers. Uh, Wolf's like six one or six two six three. Torres was like six one six two. Two pitch guys, high ceilings, and they can just whip it. Like these, they might have the two quickest arms in the system between the two of them. High reliever risk, though. I think Wolf has. We talked about this off air as well. I think Wolf has a, a better chance to start. Uh, I'm not going to dive into them too much because I don't want to steal your thunder here. But you know, uh, uh, my quote was, these guys are like two years away from being two years away. Uh, that we, The guys who were going to help, we already discussed. These are the guys that we're hoping down the line. And uh, the other thing, uh, before I just throw it to you, we were discussing and debating, would either of these guys make the Indians' top 10 prospects? And uh, I'll kind of kick it to you. Like, Do you think either, again, the Indians have a deep pool. and these are. I'm not saying these guys are trash. I don't want anyone to think that. They're very interesting players, and I'll give you that plenty of time to tell them why they should be excited. These are fun prospects to add, but are, do either of them make the top 10, and what's your overall feel? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I think for the Indians here, you're looking at their system. It's an interesting system, 
But in a trade like this where you're not going to get the true, true value for Francisco Lindor, at least you can get some upside to where you might look back at the trade and say that wasn't so bad. I think when you look at Josh Wolf, when you look at Isaiah Green, lotto ticket is probably fair on Isaiah Green. But I will say, I, I really liked him out of the draft. I think he's really polished for a high school hitter. He's got great tools. And he's a well-rounded player. When you see that comp, you know, comps in general are fun. People love them. I love doing them sometimes. And I say, like, he can be a guy like this. Like, if everything works out, he will be similar to this guy. It doesn't mean he's going to be that guy. But if everything works out, he will be this guy. I think the comp is fair if everything works out, right? But there's a lot of moving pieces for everything to work out. What I will say about Isaiah Green, though, is for a guy his age – and for a guy that is is you know pretty lanky, long arms, that left-handed swing, typically you see guys with long legs, like long limbs, skinny, tend to have not as much body control with their swing. And what I was impressed with Green is that he does have that body control. He does actually use his lower half better than most high school types of profiles of that kind of hitter. I like Green to to be a guy that should be able to hit the ball well enough to get work his way into full season ball this coming year. And I think he's a pretty good and interesting prospect. I would say Wolf is the more valuable guy. And to answer your question more directly, Wolf has a shot to crack that top 10. Of course, there's some moving parts here. Guys graduating, you know, with McKenzie, I guess he would be graduated by the start of the season. I, that always confuses me with like who's graduated or not. After, after Like technically yeah. he qualifies, but they, you know, I have to dig into it, but yeah, they yeah, did. I think he's technically still a prospect. Like he's off the list. Uh, and I love Tristan McKenzie, by the way, but I would say there's a chance I would put him right at the nine to 12 range. But the thing is, is the second he puts together a few good outings in wherever he'll be, because he did look really good in his two outings and rookie ball. I think he's going to start to play his way up into these into the top 10. And I think he has the stuff. We're talking about his his profile. He's a first-round pick as far as I'm concerned. You know, people get like will point out, oh, you know, they just traded for a second-round pick and a third-round pick. Not really. I mean, he got first-round money for a reason. He was a first-round caliber player, and he has first-round caliber stuff. 6'3", 170. You talk about the really quick arm. And when we compare him to some of the other guys, I think what's different about Wolf is that he made some adjustments recently. You know, he lowered his arm slot. His his mechanics seem much more repeatable. He seems like he's got a better feel for his stuff. And I think he's got a shot to, to really find that third pitch, maybe better than some other very raw pitchers that you're going to find. And I, I think if he can find that change up a little bit more and find a way to tunnel it now that he's find that new, found that new arm slot, he's going to have to find a way to repeat that change up in the same arm slot. But his fastball is electric, runs it up to the upper 90s. His command is not bad for a 6'3 high school arm. And you mentioned the guys with the really quick arm, sometimes they struggle to time everything up with their body. I don't see too much of an issue with that, and I really like his two-pitch mix already. I could see Wolf as a guy that explodes. I could see him as a guy that struggles too, and that's that high floor, or high ceiling, low floor type of profile with guys like this. But I like him. I, I think that is a good, good piece to be able to get here as a – tertiary or fourth even piece in this deal I would I would probably say he's the third piece Isaiah Green being the fourth but to still have upside on your third and fourth pieces in this deal and legitimate upside where you could make the case for both of these guys to be top 100 prospects if they really get it going in the next year or two 
that's not a bad piece to be able to get here. Yeah, you're betting on upside, you're taking risk, but that's probably what they were dealing with here. They were either going to get a low ceiling, uh, high floor type like Owen Miller, or they could go for that super high ceiling guy that is very volatile. And I, I like that risk there because they got the higher floor guys in the front end of the deal with the two shortstops. I always talk about when it comes to trades like this, you want to look out for guys who don't fit the mold uh, because if a team likes a guy to go against their belief, then that says something to me. And when you look at Isaiah green, uh, first off the Indians, uh, he's, he's, there's a lot of risk. It's, it's a high risk profile, but the Indians are also the most age obsessed team in when it comes to the draft of any team in baseball, Isaiah green turned 19 in August. Those guys have been day three picks or later. They've avoided guys with that age profile for the better part of a decade. So when they go out and actively acquire that player, I think it also speaks to something where it is they're willing to go against their models for that player. There is something there. Um, so I, just something to keep in mind. And then I, of course, just have to mention uh, PD Halpin was also a California high school kid taken this past year. So Green went, uh, got a little under 900,000, I want to say, and is the 69th overall pick. Petey Halpin, the Indians got in the third round, 95th overall. They give him 1.6 million or 1.5 million, which was also to get him to slide to the, there. But uh, that's uh, those two instantly joined kind of the cream of that outfield crop. Uh, you know, you explained why Wolf and, and Green are interesting, but we have to, I think, talk a little bit about George Valera when we're talking about that outfield group. Uh, you know, Daniel Johnson fans are a little more familiar with, but let's talk about the, the guy who is. Uh, at the very top of those rankings ahead of those two recent additions with the uh, Halpin and green. I mean, yeah, George Valera is, and I, I use the word freak endearingly uh, quite often with, with some of these, I was just talking about the giant system on the podcast and talking about Marco Luciano uh, and, and just the whip and power he's able to generate for a guy. Yeah. He's six, two, six, three, but he's only 170 pounds. Valera is five eleven, like one eighty five, right? One ninety. Um, and yeah, that's a stockier, stronger build, but he's not a behemoth. He's not a monster by any stretch, but he is able to generate a lot of power because of the fact that he just has so much raw bat speed. He is so fun to watch hit, but I will say there is a lot of movement in his swing. There are a lot of things that he has to time up. And typically that doesn't really bode well as you get into the upper levels. And I'm a little bit worried about that with Valera, but at the same time, I hedge that with the fact that if there's anybody that could handle excessive movement in their swing because they're so athletic and so just fluid. I would say it's Valera. I think he's going to make some adjustments as he moves up and quiet some things down. And as he does that, he's going to unlock a lot more consistency, but that's where the hit tool thing becomes a little confusing, right? Because he has a, a 60 grade hit tool probably across the board. When you look at all of the prospect rankings and I can see that I can see why he would be given a 60 grade hit tool because he has incredible bats of ball skills. He has incredible raw bat speed and he repeats his swing pretty well. But at the same time, his timing can get a little thrown off kilter, especially against older competition and limited exposure that we've seen. And how does that factor into the hit tool, right? If all works out and he starts timing things up well, and he allows himself to really tap into what he has, then yeah, that's a 60 grade hit tool. But if he continues to have this movement and doesn't quiet things down and it starts to seep into his approach, then there's going to be some questions there. I will say when we look at tools, he's as talented as anybody you're going to find in, in, in all of the minor leagues, especially at his age. 
just turned 20 years old, right? I, I still qualify him as that teenager designation. And when you look at teenagers, he's right up there with anybody. And from the left side to have that kind of powerful swing, I could see a, a 2020 to 30, 30 potential. I don't know if he's got that kind of speed, probably not. But when we look at his, his ability to just really get it done uh, at the plate and, and his savviness on the bases, I don't think he's ever going to steal 30, but I like that 2020 profile with probably 30 home runs if he's able to tap into it and find that consistency. But that broken handmate bone, right, that's going to factor into some things. That takes a little bit of time to come back from. And he's so whippy and explosive that I think that hampered him quite a bit. And once you once you break that bone, it takes a while to come back. There's a lot of new handles and stuff. I'm curious if he uses it. There's new handles for guys that broke their handmate bone, interesting enough. 